While undeniably beautiful poetry, this passage from Isaiah that Virgie read is not the most immediately applicable scripture to our everyday lives. And after studying it a good while, it took me even more time to understand why we read this during the season of Advent. This past few weeks, Pastor Mark has had me already wondering about reading the John the Baptist scripture we just read during Advent. And then I opened to this passage from Isaiah, and I was completely confused. I don't know what folks are thinking with these passages during Advent. And so as I like to do when I'm stumbling in scripture, I'd like to start us off with some context about the scripture. What are we actually reading? What are we looking at? The book of Isaiah is categorized as one of the major prophets in Hebrew scripture. And our reading from chapter 40 this morning actually dates from the 6th century before the common era, before the birth of Christ, probably in the reign of a ruler whose name I can't pronounce, one of the last Babylonian rulers, 500 to 600 years before the birth of Christ. This is ancient scripture we're reading and gathering wisdom from this morning. And at this time, the rise of a ruler named Cyrus the Persian and his rapid series of victories brought the Babylonian Empire to a collapse. And that collapse led to high hopes among the Jewish, pe- Jewish people that their world would be restored. That's a lot to take in for us this morning. So I want to give a broad landscape view for us. What we need to know is that the community hearing this passage was a community living in forced political exile. I'm going to say that again. The community hearing this passage from Isaiah that we're looking at was a community living in forced political exile. Known as the Babylonian exile or the Babylonian captivity, our Israelite ancestors, to whom this particular passage is addressed, were a people who had been forced to leave their Palestinian homeland. They had been living in exile in Babylonia, far, far away from their homeland, for decades upon decades. However, in this chapter of Isaiah, the political tide is changing, and the Babylonian exile is coming to a close. Cyrus the Persian, this famed ruler, is now ruling, ruling, and Israel is being invited to return to their homeland. So God instructs Isaiah to comfort a people, to comfort this people, who have felt for generations that they were abandoned by God. In verse 2, we hear God's caring instruction to Isaiah. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that she has served her term, that her penalty is paid, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. And then later in verse 11, God empowers Isaiah to assure the people that God has not and God will never desert them, that God has been and always will be 
their shepherd. He will feed his flock like a shepherd, Isaiah writes. He will gather the lamb in his arms and carry them in his bosom and gently lead the mother sheep. So while steeped in ancient world history and ancient customs and a culture that is very far removed from most of our culture, I would say that Isaiah's call remains no less vital to us today. There's no doubt in my mind that as followers of Christ in 2017, Southern California, Metro LA, we too sometimes find ourselves strangers in a strange land. Some of us may know a similar experience of exile. We may have been forced from a home, forced out of a relationship, forced from a life or a lifestyle that we once knew or cherished. Some of us may feel that being a churchgoer, following Jesus, upholding Jesus' commandment to love our neighbors, to share God's love and grace, that this experience, following Jesus, makes us odd at best and downright irrelevant at worst. Some of us may have experienced or currently experience living in a culture, a place, a neighborhood, a personal or professional world that just feels foreign in some deep way. Yes, this chapter from Isaiah has an important message of a comforting, shepherding God that can speak to us all. And one that has a lot to teach us about the nature of God and our role as God's children in our lives today. While I was preparing this message, I found myself centering on this image of a shepherd. And I'm going to admit that I found myself pretty distanced from that. I'm going to be honest, I've never met a shepherd. I've been to a lot of petting zoos in the last nine years of my life. I feel like I know what a sheep looks like. In Girl Scout camp once, I like pulled the wool from a sheep and learned about lanolin and looked at a spinning thing. And, but I've never actually met or had conversation with a professional shepherd. And so I was struggling. How do I get into this passage? And then, oh church... I remembered Frank Furtschneider. Frank Furtschneider was an 80-something-year-old, deeply kind disciple of Jesus who led my teaching committee during my seminary internship at the Atascadero United Methodist Church. Frank always looked top-notch. He would wear the smartest suit jacket and a little hat with a feather in it. Before we met, Frank had raised three children, and he clearly still adored his rabble-rousing wife, Maggie, and his larger-than-life dog. Frank also tended a beautiful garden and shared that bounty with many of us, and they were some of the best tomatoes I've ever had. Oh, as I got to know Frank over the months of my internship, I learned that he knew the Bible very well, He knew Methodist hymns and the Apostles' Creed. He could teach Sunday school to any age. He could lead worship. He chaired committees. And Frank? Frank could sit through a cantankerous church council meeting and still have something positive to say at its close. 
Now that's a shepherd. However, beyond all of this, what made a a really deep impression upon me was Frank's undying, unwavering commitment to an ecumenical ministry called Loaves and Fishes. In this small town of Atascadero, this little group of disciples were committed to ending food insecurity. Frank volunteered and served and campaigned and donated. He believed fiercely in the work of Loaves and Fishes, and he served in that ministry as part of his discipleship. And Frank... Frank had a keen ability to listen. We met many times during my internship and on the year on staff that followed, and Frank always, always made me feel heard. He often didn't have answers for my queries about church and community and why, but he listened deeply, and Frank made me feel heard. It helped that Frank had a wicked sense of humor. Frank Furchneider always somehow had his finger on the pulse of the church and the pulse of the community. He was one of those folks that Pastor Sheree and I would go to when we needed to understand more clearly why the community was upset or struggling. When we needed to know the background to a complex issue that it was affecting someone or some group in our community, Frank quietly just knew. Frank was a comfort to the community of which he was a part. Frank, Frank was a shepherd, and I was blessed by his shepherding. So, yes, I haven't known a professional shepherd. But I was blessed to know Frank, and I was blessed by that knowing. Frank showed me with his life what it was to be a shepherd who followed Jesus. And as Frank shepherded me, I began to understand God as a shepherd, God as my shepherd. I began to see and feel how God is always with me, walking alongside, guiding me, nudging me, and that is a deep comfort. Our shepherd God isn't one that dictates my way or the highway paths or choices. Our shepherd God is one who loves us enough to know better than that. One who loves us enough to give us the liberty and the freedom to make our choices. It is in times of great unknown Distress, sorrow, anxiety, fear, change, times of upheaval in our lives that we need to know and be reminded that God is a shepherd God who is a comfort to us at all times. A God who longs to, as Isaiah writes, come to us with might, feed us and gather us in his dreams, carry us in his bosom and gently lead us. This is our God. This is our shepherd God. And one of whom during Advent we need to be reminded is our God and all people's God. Now lest you think we're done here, we're not. It, was a, it would have been a good place to close the sermon, but I'm not done with you all yet. Because while it is good and right for us to know God as our shepherd, and I will absolutely admit 
that is not an easy thing to do. It's one thing to say God is my shepherd. It's another thing to come to God articulating our need to be shepherded. To say, God, I need your comfort. I need your embrace. So that is work. But lest you think we are done here with our understanding of God, we are not. Because it is not enough for us, church, to understand. This is a message that changes lives, that comforts in distress, that a hurting people in a hurting world need to know. And dang it, that's our job, church. Yes, even during Advent, when we are wrapped up in wrapping paper and carols and candles, our job is to help God's people see the shepherd God at work in all of us. It was less than one hour before my ordination at the University of Redlands in June 2015. I hadn't spoken or seen Zach since my wedding in August 2007. At that time, Zach was a high school youth in the youth ministry that I had been working with for several years. Zach ushered at our wedding and he ate cake and blew bubbles with us at our reception. But before that, Zach and I had worked on Sierra service homes. We had walked in the AIDS Walk LA. We'd slept on church floors. We'd fasted to fight hunger and played in countless embarrassing games together. We had lots of chats. I met Zach when he was a sixth grader who loved Harry Potter. And I hadn't seen him since he had become a dyed-in-the-wool high school theater rat and served at my wedding with these big, black, chunky boots and who knows what color hair. And there I was, putting on my clergy robe on a very hot summer night in June 2015, running out the door, or trying to, to get to the chapel for my ordination as United Methodist elder. And my phone rang. And on a random whim, I answered it. And it was Zach. My head reeled as I recognized his voice, and suddenly I was listening to Zach, the adult, who I hadn't seen or heard from in eight years. He was congratulating me on the night of my ordination. He said, I know you're probably running out the door, Melinda, but could you please just give me a few minutes? I said, sure, of course. And those few minutes have given me as much a portrait of God at work in my own life as any I've spent thus far. Because in those brief minutes before my ordination, Zach painted for me a portrait of my own shepherd ministry of sorts with him. He thanked me profusely as he detailed how impactful I had been on his life. He shared that I had had an immeasurable effect, he said, on his own sense of self-worth and self-esteem during a really rough time for him growing up. And especially as a teenager struggling with his orientation and struggling with his faith in God and his belonging in God's church. He said to me that I had allowed him to have a place in the church when he didn't know if he had a place in the world. He shared that at that time he felt out of place everywhere, including his own body, and that to fit in in the church was life-saving for him, life-changing. He told me that he didn't think 
I would ever know what an impact I had had on his life. And he told me that I had made God and faith and church, and most importantly, pride and love of who he was at that time and who he is in God's eyes, that I had helped make that possible for him. And me, while I'm listening to this, all I could think of was laughing with Zach and working alongside him and eating bad food and playing games and him acolyting. And I remember going to his plays and encouraging his development as a theater artist and talking about musicals with him. And I also remember that he never stopped talking. I remember that. I remember having coffee with his parents and just talking about life, what it was to raise a teenager in L.A., I'll never, ever, as long as I live, forget that ordination night phone call from Zach and how he helped me see that I, I had shepherded him in a small but powerful way during a time that was really crucial for him. Frank and Zach and my relationships with them both helped me parse out how very important this shepherding work is that God models for us and that the prophet Isaiah describes for us in chapter 40. The shepherd God is so important, church, because it's life-changing and life-saving. 